Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Operation Climate, the podcast made by youth for youth, where we talk about climate change solutions with cool people and learn about how we as young people and students can take action in the climate movement. My name's Catherine, and I'll be guiding you throughout this episode. What a dystopian time we're living in, where human rights are limited by the highest powers of the country, and our response is to post news articles and infographics on our Instagram stories. Not saying that's a bad thing, guys, but think about it. We're barely even given the time to breathe when the next disaster strikes and everyone's attention shifts, forcing us to deal with our distress about the previous issue at a later time, if that time ever comes. Scrolling through post after post after TikTok after TikTok telling us that our world is going to shit. It's too fast. It's overwhelming. Social media algorithms and news sites push out quick and snappy 30-second videos and three-page infographics synthesizing and analyzing these issues that can often be helpful, but are also often too short, too surface level to let the average viewer deeply understand the issue enough to know how to act. And details are often missed, and misinformation spreads like wildfire. And then the viewer moves on to the next post. We have a media problem. Not just in the echo chamber of social media, but in the mainstream media world as well. So, how do we fix it? As our guest for this episode, Elson Benkoff, puts it, Imagine a world where there aren't simply IPCC reports, but after each clause, a demand. Imagine a world where after each local broadcast, there are four events to attend to address the issue. Wow, imagine that world. This is what she defines as proactive media. Educational media that is coupled with direct opportunities for action. Proactive media is needed to forward all kinds of social movements, including the climate movement, because too often we're failed by mainstream media that doesn't connect the dots between world events and the climate crisis and social media activism that begins and ends on a screen. That's what we're discussing on our episode today with Elson Bankoff. I'm Elson Bankoff, share pronouns. I am a junior in high school. I live in Washington, D.C., which is a great place if you're into advocacy and protests and organizing. Elson is a junior in high school at Sidwell Friends School in Washington, D.C., and runs a biweekly environmental justice magazine called Ecosystemic. Ecosystemic is a high school student-run digital magazine that's working to shatter the echo chamber of climate education media. Here's how Elson puts it. Ecosystemic. Our approach is sort of like, well, why be like an organization with a newsletter when you can be a magazine that's actively advocating, like doing the work of an organization, but through something that sort of tries to undermine the culture that is provoked through social media, where like you just read something and you move on. You only see it if you're interested in it. There's like an echo chamber, huge one with climate change. So that's something that we're trying to do is sort of like move out of that. It's all encompassing is the point. We're not just writing about like nature. We're writing about the conditions that create this, the conditions that are continuing to create this, like corporate greed. We do a lot of intersectional things like Ukraine X environment, patriarchy X environment, just stuff like that. So people see that it is systemic. It is all intertwined. An ecosystem, the point is that it all sort of works in harmony. And if you alter one thing, then the rest kind of falls. We all work together and have our part. 
I first got introduced to Ecosystemic through an article that Elson wrote earlier this year called Proactive Media and Mutual Education, in which she describes how she thinks the climate justice movement should advance using themes of mutual aid, mutual education, proactive media, and how youth should really take a leading role in this renewable revolution. So I'll be taking themes from that manifesto that she wrote because I think it's just a very powerful piece And I'll be using those to guide our conversation today. One of the first things that Elson mentions in her manifesto is the concept of mutual aid. The concept of mutual aid is when people take responsibility for caring for one another. It's different from charity in that it's not a one-way transaction. It's a network of solidarity between members of a community where people offer their resources and skills, and those are redistributed to people in the community that need those resources and skills. Everyone has something to contribute, and everyone has something they need. Here's an example. Last year, Texas had a huge ice freeze that resulted in power and water being cut to millions of Texan homes for about a week. From that... Mutual aid efforts became apparent. People who luckily didn't have their power cut let their community members who did lose power stay in their houses. People who didn't go grocery shopping that week were brought food by people who luckily did. Everyone helping everyone. And this doesn't just happen during a natural disaster. This can be a long-term way of living. Mutual aid is a powerful political concept that can help the climate movement become stronger. Here are Allison's thoughts. When we were organizing for the March 25th climate strikes in D.C., somebody mentioned on our Zoom call there was this climate event. And while everyone's chanting all these disruptive things, we were all making sandwiches in the background. And there was something so powerful about that. We were producing a product to give it to people, to help people, while also calling for these radical changes. In the climate movement, it's important that you really, really, really stress like the local humanitarian things Resolving the issue while calling for a greater reform is a great way to model activism. I mean, you can look at the Black Panther Party, like what they did is they had their free breakfast programs and, you know, it did all these things that weren't that radical, but like because a radical group was calling for reform while also feeding people, it's like we can do it. Proactive media is different from social media. We've seen movements being amplified on social media. A lot of us get our news from social media, and we've learned a lot about different social issues through social media. But it's a means, not an end. It's difficult to make change when you advocate only through social media. In Elson's manifesto, she explains that this is because social media is an echo chamber. This is how the algorithm works. You see content that you agree with and the content you put out is shown to people who already agree with it. This is how these multi-billion dollar social media companies keep you on their apps. Elson also writes how social media is a black hole. She says, quote, We spend time scrolling, informing ourselves only to become inspired for a single moment and leave drained and buzzed with that all too familiar feeling of phone burnout. It sucks our energy and it sucks our time. These two things, energy and time, are the fuels of powerful movements, end quote. I read a book recently called The Quiet Before. Basically, in the first chapter, it talks about social movements and how 
effective social movements build up over time before they're, you're able to get to the point where everyone's screaming a chant. And social media kind of undermines that because it sort of jumps a step in a way, or it undermines the work of the people who have been doing things forever, who have been working on an issue for so long. In like the first chapter of the book, the author basically describes social media as like a cocktail party where you go and you like clink glasses and you like chat it up and it's like really fun, but then you go home and you're drained and then you don't go to another cocktail party for like at least another 24 hours, if not a lot longer. But like versus, you know, having a dinner with your friends where you have like productive conversations and you are talking and you're not intoxicated basically. And it's just like a very slow, deep conversation versus like a, a cocktail party. It's draining. It is so exhausting. And I don't think we realize it, especially if you're an activist listening to this. People talk a lot about like, oh, like uh, you see like beauty standards and stuff like that. I get massive burnout from seeing activism standards. It's exhausting to go onto social media and to see like kids posting with congressmen and all this stuff. And you're like, why? Like kids at the White House who like went viral on TikTok and stuff like that. It's like, oh my God, you're making more change than I am and stuff like that. I think we do compare each other. And then that's not productive because social media is a it's just a place to like highlight your best performance of yourself. And then that's not authentic. It creates more competition within movements than I would like, because that's how these companies make money is by literally getting people to want to become something, to stay on the app and to see things that they're not. Well, let's not discount how social media has helped social movements, including the climate movement. A viral video sparking global protests, a hashtag exposing and holding abusers accountable. When we can take our digital presence to the real world, we're more able to make change. But it's often difficult to do that. I think it's really good for, yeah, means not ends. We got the turnout. We got like 500 people at the March 25th strike, which is pretty good. The main way that we did that was we had Instagram chats because they exist to message people. Communicating, awesome, totally revolutionary for promoting things, also awesome, like giving a time and place, giving, you know, putting a flyer, mutual aid, like, here's what I need. Venmo, awesome. We really try to maximize like the slow, like, okay, read this, like, let it sink in, be inspired. Because what happens, it's it's like nauseating, like it is spam, like you get spammed with news, you get spammed with these like insanely heavy things. That's a huge issue with the gun reform movement and Black Lives Matter is that Organizers in those spaces have been like, well, why is it that we only get a million retweets when someone has to be shot? Spamming your mind with literally the most like terrible things, you become desensitized at some point and you become like, okay, this is inevitable. There's nothing I can do to solve it because you're just on these platforms. It's news, header, 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 header. Delete it. Get off of it for a while. Come back on if you need to do something on it. If you really want to post something, it makes you more mindful. I've just been deleting Instagram all the time because then it makes you slower. It makes you really look to other media. It makes you read the whole thing. And I just think like everyone sort of craves like something slow, but we don't get it often. And I think social media just doesn't help with that. And it makes us really numb to a lot of social issues. And it's really hard with climate. Like voting, honestly, go all out with like social media. You, that's all you need for an election. A bunch of people talking about one thing for a few weeks. Climate stuff, it's like so long term. There's really not much you can do. So what exactly is proactive media? Elson describes it as when we integrate lessons about climate or other social issues into everyday forms of media and shatter the echo chamber. Here are some examples that Elson shared. I literally, when I was in like second grade, read this book on like baseball because I was in like a huge baseball phase. The premise was like this kid goes back in time and to like meet these baseball players, but his time machine breaks in this one book and he goes to the future and it's like climate change. And I was like, what? 
and it integrated it. And I thought I think about that all the time. I'm like, I never would have thought about this. I never would have picked up a book about climate change at age eight. And and it's easy to say that at age eight, but like everyone, no one picks up a book about climate change if they're not interested in it. You need it integrated. You need it in every single part of everything. So that's where proactive media sort of comes in. You have to be very like have a mission in the stuff that you're saying and the things that you're presenting to the world. Example, we're running several campaigns through Ecosystemic that are like citywide campaigns where basically we're writing demands and people are contacting organizations like NGOs, politicians, council people in their cities, getting information about what the issues are. And so we're sort of taking a journalistic approach to like demanding legislation. I wrote a bill recently. I never thought I would do that. It's interesting because I did it for the forum of publishing it on a ma- in a magazine, which is cool because it's not like, oh, I'm just writing a bill like for shits and giggles. Like I'm, I did it for the magazine as a part of the series. Just going into every field and being like, hey, everyone, let's shift the mission just a little bit because this is an emergency. Hollywood and Broadway, not super having they're not really having that conversation. It's gotten better with race a little bit, arguably, over time. Other social movements, like really not much because it's so like, especially with environmentalism, it's so like I would never pick up that book. It's so like science. It's so IPCC. It's so like wildfires and people, animals dying and like. Anything that you're doing right now can have a climate implication without having to like to center your life around climate stuff. You can write a book that isn't about climate change, but has the conversation in a really heartfelt way. I think that's really what people get inspired by and moved by or angered by. Integrating into society is the biggest thing. So, yeah, shatter the echo chamber. That's our next big thing. While Elson was talking about proactive media, I thought of an example a recent blockbuster movie featuring Meryl Streep, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Timothy Chalamet, literally every Hollywood A-lister you can think of. The movie's called Don't Look Up. It's on Netflix, if you weren't clear on what I was hinting at. While there was no mention of climate change throughout the entire movie, it brought to light the failings of the systems that prevent us from acting on climate. A lot of people saw parallels to the U.S. response to COVID, too. The director, Adam McKay, originally wrote the script as a metaphor for the climate crisis. See how this movie integrated climate into its story and it ended up on the screens of millions of people, many who wouldn't even call themselves climate activists? It's just about being creative because like Al Gore, his whole thing, Inconvenient Truth, you know, it was like the first mainstream one. If you're a mainstream person and you're talking about this stuff, it does kind of shatter it. The people who are looking to you aren't the climate scientists. That's a good way to use fame. If you're just if you just start talking about it, you just automatically expose it to other people. So what is Elson's vision for ecosystemic and for proactive media as a whole? I think ecosystemic, ideally, we're leading these citywide editions. My vision is like people in different cities just keep out, keep reaching out to people, keep getting narratives, getting interviews, writing, like making art, creating things. What our goal is, is to have this like nice aesthetic page, which is all of these demands, all of these narratives for cities, because that's where it gets specific is like it's not saying the same thing everyone says. I feel bad going to protests and doing these chants. Like I honestly feel kind of dumb at some point. I'm like, wow, this is redundant. I've been saying this for the past four years, but it's not my fault. Like it just the way no one's changing. 
But I think with stuff like this, it's like if you give your city council these demands that are well-researched and have these diverse narratives and stories and ideas in it, and then giving it to them, local governments are more likely to listen to their constituents. So if you have that going on like a ton of levels, maybe included in that, I, in our edition, included a proposal for creating a youth climate council under the mayor's office. They exist and I think it could get passed. So like you can literally do the same and you're their constituents and that's huge and you can't vote in most cases. So that's also huge. In a world where it wouldn't have to exist is a world where like if everyone just were mindful and empathetic and aware and we're able to just sort of create things with ease and not need to be constantly stimulated, we wouldn't have such a need to create this concept of like proactive media because people would be absorbing things. But since it's sort of like a counter to just like spam media, it stems from that hyperactive culture that you see a lot of the time in activism. So I would just hope that people kind of slow down sometimes because that would be a better world. Let's summarize this episode. One. The climate movement could benefit from mutual aid. The power of community is massive. Two, social media is a means, not an end, to forwarding a social movement. Three, proactive media in the climate movement could mean coupling a journalistic story with action items. It could mean integrating climate stories into mainstream media and showing that climate relates to everything. It could mean media that is slow, that doesn't thrive off the rapid news cycle and click-worthy culture, and that examines climate issues with nuance and detail. So now that you have that, here are some action items to take away from this episode. Take a break from social media for a day and engage in slow media surrounding some social issue, including the climate crisis. My recommendations for books include All We Can Save, which was co-edited by Dr. Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson and Dr. Catherine Wilkinson, Generation Dread by Britt Ray. My recommendations for documentaries, How to Let Go of the World and Love All the Things Climate Can't Change by Josh Fox is a really good one. My recommendations for podcasts, hmm... This is, a, this is a hard one, guys. I, uh, Operation Climate, I heard, is a, is a good one. Yeah. And obviously, read Elson's article on Ecosystemic about proactive media. The link will be in the show notes. If you listen to this whole thing, good for you. You are, you are the key example of the mindful human who doesn't listen on double speed like I do and doesn't. Well, maybe you did, actually. But you still finish the episode. So, you know what? You sound like an ecosystemic writer to me and a great person who will make a lot of change in the world and keep listening to the whole duration of episodes. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Operation Climate. Make sure to subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you don't miss a future episode. And also, leave us a rating and review. That would be amazing. We'd love to hear from you. For a full transcript of this episode and links that you can explore to learn more about what we covered today, head to our website at bit.ly slash Operation Climate Podcast. To stay updated about other Operation Climate things, follow our socials. We're at Operation Climate on Instagram and at Operation Climate on TikTok. Hope to see you next time. Bye.